0: You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. I hope you had a good Christmas. Uh, My whole family was in town, which I think is a little bit like watching a reality TV show, and I'm like the token Christian on the show. Uh, On Christmas night, uh, my dad and I were driving back from the airport from dropping my brother off, and we were struck by the empty parking lots everywhere, except at Applebee's. Applebee's was completely packed. It was unbelievable. But everywhere else, Central Market, Walmart, Target, all of these places that are normally packed, totally empty. And it felt really strange. I mean, you just never see that. But it also felt really peaceful. Uh, I had this sense that the city was at rest, and it was affecting me. Like, I could feel that. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to buy. There was nothing to do. And it felt great. It made me aware of how cluttered our lives usually are with activity. Just work and social engagements and entertainment. Uh, The parking lots of our lives Are rarely empty. Walter Brueggemann says this is because we live in a do more, have more world. Indeed, these are the gods of our culture and they have tremendous influence on us. Without even knowing it, we get caught up into their cycles of demand and pressure and busyness. It makes us restless. The truth is, we don't want the parking lots of our lives to be empty. Uh, We feel like we should be doing something. And God knows us. He knows this about us, that we're restless. He knows that left to ourselves, we really can't stop. We can't stop working, can't stop consuming, can't stop worrying, can't stop talking, can't stop checking our Instagram, can't stop looking at our phones. He knows this. And so, in his wisdom and in his kindness to us, God has given us a day of rest. Uh, A day, as Tim Keller puts it, to put your doing down. A day to dethrone the gods of do more and have more and turn our attention to the God of mercy and grace. And we see this principle of a day of rest throughout the scriptures. In the beginning, God Creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rests from his work. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God tells his people, you should work for six days, and then on the seventh day, rest from your work. And then, in the passage that we just heard read, Jesus invites us to come to him to find rest. Now, look, I I know that this is uh, the— most of us have been sitting around for a week or two, not doing very much and eating a lot— And we're sort of itching to get back to the busyness of life and work. I get that. I know that this is the time of year where we are setting goals and making plans, and I want you to do all of that. I really do. But before you do that, before we charge into the new year, I just want to take some time to try to convince you of your need for the weekly practice of a day of rest in 2019. Not for, like, the idea of it, Or the theology of it, but for the actual doing of it in 2019, 52 times next year, to take a day of rest. So, three simple questions: What are are we talking about? What does it mean to rest? Uh, Why do we need it? We'll spend most of our time there, and then very briefly, what what's the first step? What do we do if we want to do that? What does it mean to rest? Uh, In biblical language, the day of rest is called the Sabbath day. And the word Sabbath literally just means to cease, to stop. God made the earth and the heavens in six days, and on the seventh day, he stopped. He rested from his work. So God himself sets aside a day to put his doing down. Uh, When the Bible talks about rest, sometimes the emphasis is on physical rest, and sometimes it's on spiritual rest. And there's some important distinctions between those things, but at the heart of it, I just want you to see that the Sabbath day is given for both physical and spiritual rest. It's a day of physical rest because you stop your work. And it's not just about your, your, your job, it's about your labor. It's about the impulse that's in all of us to get things done and make things happen. So one day a week, God is saying, resist that impulse— and put your doing down. It's also, uh, there's also a spiritual element of rest. When God commands his people in Exodus 20 to uh, observe the Sabbath, he says it's a Sabbath day unto the Lord. And so it's not just a day off. It's a very God-centered rest. This is why Jesus says, Come to me and you'll find rest. Uh, The ultimate rest that we need, of course, is to rest in Jesus. To find our righteousness in Him. To not be trying to prove ourselves and pretend before God, but just to rest in who He is and what He's done for us. That's the ultimate rest that we need, to be satisfied in Him. And when we see Him face to face, we will be totally satisfied. There will be no pretending or performing, He'll be everything. But until then, God has given us this very practical way to remember him and to enter into that kind of satisfaction even now. So practically, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about setting aside one day a week to stop. Dallas Willard says, It's a day where you don't try to make things happen. So you just wake up and you try not to make anything happen for 24 hours. It's so hard. This applies to uh, whatever your calling in life is. It doesn't matter what you do. Set aside these 24 hours and then protect them. Don't let the, the urgency of efficiency and productivity and all of that stuff creep in. Just protect it. Enjoy God and the good things that he's given you. Make time for prayer and for people in your life, for recreation. Just rest. Now I want to say that the Sabbath day is not a law. There's no righteousness in it. This is where the religious leaders in Jesus' day got all upside down and he argued with them a lot about this. It's not a law, but it is a God-appointed gift that brings so much blessing into our lives. And so that's what it is, essentially. Just a day to be satisfied in God. Now, why do we need it? Uh, Like you may be saying, I get that I need to rest in Christ, but why do I need the actual practice of a 24-hour period every week? Why do I need that? There are lots of studies that will show you the practical benefits of doing this, but there's a, a much more foundational reason that we need this. And the reason is, is because the gods of do more and have more are working on you. Like they are pressing down on you whether you know it or not. This is, you know, the whole system of marketing and advertising is based on these principles and values. And without even knowing it, it is just working its way into our souls and our hearts and our minds, and it's forming us. That's why we need a day of rest. Uh, In his book, Sabbath as Resistance, Walter Brueggemann argues that the primary way of resisting being conformed to our culture is by observing the Sabbath— This is how we dethrone the gods of do more and have more. So let's talk about these two things for a minute. The God of do more says that you are what you do. So do what you have to do and then do more. Do more than you did yesterday. Do more than your competitors. If you want to get ahead, set higher goals. Put in extra hours. Do more. This is our world. I have a friend who's a financial planner, and he, he does quite well at it, actually. But his bosses were, were pressuring him to, like, do better, set higher goals and achieve them. And so this is what they counseled him to do. They counseled him to buy a giant house that's outside of his means so that he would have, like, intrinsic motivation to do more. That's the world we live in. That's our world. It's also the world of Pharaoh, now, this is the story where we get God's command to observe the Sabbath. Uh, you'll remember when God's people came into Egypt, they came in under the protection of Joseph. But 400 years later, now they live under the oppressive rule of the Pharaoh of the time. And, and they're basically slaves. They make bricks for the endless construction of Egypt. Here's the cycle in the world of Pharaoh. The slaves make bricks that are used to build supply cities uh, in which Pharaoh can store his abundance of material wealth in the form of grain. And because the system's designed to produce more and more surplus, there's always a need for more and more storage units. That should sound real familiar. Storage units going up everywhere in this city. And these are in turn generate more need for bricks. The bricks lead to surplus wealth, and the wealth is received as gift from the gods of Pharaoh. It's a vicious cycle. And it's in that context that God sends Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh. And this is what they say. They go before him and they say, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. All Pharaoh hears is, Let us take a week or two, or I don't know how long it'll be, uh, to stop working for you so we can go worship our God. Which is why the next verse it says, But the king of Egypt said to them, Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you want to give them rest from their burdens? See, Pharaoh is just concerned about production. Uh, There will be no rest for the weary in the world of Pharaoh. That day, Pharaoh called a meeting with all of his managers, and he told them, Hey, Stop supplying straw to them. They used to supply all the materials they needed for the bricks. And he's saying, now, make them go gather their own straw, but don't reduce their quota at all. Less time, more work, same quota. And what Pharaoh's trying to do is to bury them in their work so that they'll forget about their God. This business of going out and worshiping. This is what he says in verse 9 of Exodus uh, Exodus 4. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And what he means is that they would pay no attention to their God, to what he's saying to them. Does that sound familiar to you? Like, do we live in the world of Pharaoh? Of course, our world's very different than Egypt. Our work is very different than Israel's work. But look beneath the surface of it. Isn't it the same have or do more world that enslaves us to endless work and activity? For some of us, it's our actual job. We're always working. And because of the internet uh, and technology, we can always be connected. It doesn't matter where we are or what time it is. We're working. Or we're at least available to work. We're enslaved to it. But our culture applauds it and rewards it as gifts from the gods of Pharaoh. Why are we like this? Uh, some of us think we're like this because, you know, we just have a good work ethic. Look, you live in Austin. Don't kid yourself. You do Midwesterners have a good work ethic. You have a good, like, Whole Foods coffee shop ethic. Some of you are just, I hear it all the time. It's like, this is just the season in life I'm in. I got to, like, you know, put in the extra time. Nope. Some of you are like, well, I just love what I do, and so it doesn't feel like work. Look, there may be some truth in all of that, but that's not the reason that you're enslaved to it. It's really not. Uh, The reason we're like this is because we live in a do-more world, and it's working on us. It's influencing us without us even knowing it. Uh, For some of us, it's not our jobs. It's just the nonstop activity. And it really could be anything. Social events, kids' activities, volunteering, home improvement, exercise, hobbies. It doesn't doesn't matter what the activity is. That's not the point. Activities are fine. The point is that it never stops. We feel uncomfortable if there's not something to do next or plan next. When the parking lots of our lives are empty, we just want to get to Applebee's all of a sudden. Sometimes people will say, often people will say, that they just feel useless when there's nothing to do. And do you hear that? Do you hear how the do-more world is affecting us? We've come to think about our worth in terms of our usefulness. It's exactly what the gods of Pharaoh want us to think. This is the world of Pharaoh, and into that world of endless demand, God gives this command this lifeline to his people. This is what he says. Once you're free from Egypt, this is how you should live. Six days you shall labor. So work's good. Do it. Do it well. Do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So Pharaoh's command is to do more and more and more. And God's command is to do your work and then put your doing down. Take a break. And God makes this day of rest the sign of his covenant with his people. In other words, he's saying, look, this is how you will remember my promises and my faithfulness to you. You'll take a day of work and do nothing. And you'll remember that I am the one who provides for you. I am the one who gives good things. The Sabbath helps us resist the pressure of a do-more world because it's a proclamation that our lives are not defined by our productivity and our achievement. Let's talk about the God of Have More. The God of Have More says, Your life will be okay when you have enough. It just doesn't define what enough is. So, after God delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt, He brings them, or He is bringing them into the land of Canaan, which He says is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's, a, it's a land of plenty, of abundance. And so, if in Egypt the, the challenge is productivity, life in Canaan is about consumption. Uh, this would be their temptation in Canaan. Life would be so prosperous there that they would come to value things like autonomy and self-reliance and self-sufficiency. They would, they would forget their need for God. Here's the cycle that happens in the land of plenty. The prosperity makes Israel feel safe and happy. And so if they can increase the produce of the land, they'll feel safer and happier. But the cycle will make them greedy and they will come to think that the goal of their life is to acquire more and more and more. And the system of greed will distract them from God and diminish their capacity to love. It'll make them selfish. This is illustrated in one of Israel's great kings, King Solomon. Solomon had more than anyone has ever had. More stuff, more money, more women, more experiences, you name it. He had more. And it was never enough. He was never satisfied. And eventually, the Bible says, it turned his heart to false gods, Does this sound familiar to you? Do we live in the land of plenty? Are we tempted to think that our happiness and our security are about getting more? This is why when we get something, it actually makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. Like, ooh, I got this new shiny thing. I'm pretty shiny. It's also why when we see what other people have, it makes us feel a little worse about ourselves. Uh, be honest. Don't you think sometimes that if you just got the right house or the right investments or the right relationship or the right opportunity for your kids, if you just got that, that you wouldn't worry so much, life would be okay? Don't you think that? It's a lie. That's what the gods of Have More want you to think. The have more world actually makes us anxious, not secure, not happy. Because anxiety uh, usually is a misplaced hope. And so if your hope for happiness and security is in getting more, it'll never be enough. You'll never be satisfied, and it will make you anxious. That's the world of Canaan. And into that world of endless consumption, God speaks this command— Same command, different place. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know what it means for God to bless a day? Like when God blesses a a person, they become rich with blessings. When God blesses a land, it becomes rich with blessings. And so when God blesses a day, I think it just means that the day becomes rich with blessings. This day that is set aside to rest in God and remember what he's done for us brings so much blessing into our life if we will just keep it. The Sabbath reminds us that our Father in heaven knows what we need. It's a proclamation to the world that he provides he blesses with good things. I have a, a friend named John. He's, he's older than me. He's someone that I have tremendous respect for. As just a man of God, of a godly uh, husband and father, really successful businessman, he built and, or started and built a, a really prosperous business. But in 2009, uh, the economy was hitting him really hard. It was, it was ruining everything that he had built. And so he started fixing the problem. He started working longer, working harder, nights and weekends to fix the problem. And if, if you own a business, you, you've done that. When, when there are problems, you just dive in head first. Um, it was exhausting, though. Physically, mentally, emotionally. Eventually, he came to the point where he, he basically just had a nervous breakdown. Like his, his body would not physically continue the work. And so he had to stop. He didn't want to stop, but the decision was made for him. Which, by the way, I've seen play out many, many times. There, I grew up, uh, you know, in my world, I grew up respecting these different pastors and preachers, great leaders. And, they were, and I was like, man, they could just teach like 15 times a week, and they could travel all over the place. They, could, they were writing books. When were they doing that? I didn't know. And I, I really like looked up to these guys, and, and they're doing great work. But I've seen many of them eventually hit this same wall. Some of them can go further than others, but eventually the body just says like, hey, time out, man. If you're not gonna stop, I'm gonna force the issue. I'm gonna stop. I've seen that so many times. And most of you are in your 20s and your 30s, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about there. Well, when you get your 40s and 50s, you'll know. The body keeps the score, and you're gonna lose. This is what happened to my friend. Uh, The problems had not been fixed, but he he had to stop. He had no choice. And sometime after those couple of months that he had off, I I remember asking him, I was like, hey, can you just share with me some of the things that you learned during that that time? He's like, well, I had a lot of time to, uh," well, he said, first of all, I watched a lot of movies, but also I had a lot of time to think, to pray, journal, listen to sermons, spend some time with God. And he started out by saying this, He said, well, my identity was tied up in my work. Work's good. We work to fulfill God's calling in our lives, but work was never meant to be our identity. I learned that money was not my God. Respect was my God. They could have taken away all of the assets and I would have been fine. What I couldn't deal with, though, was the business failing. I couldn't deal with the prospect of what people would think and say about that. My identity was tied to the company succeeding, and so I gave myself to that end. He said, I've learned this. Our tendency is to think about our identity in terms of what we do, and then we're defined by that. And what God was teaching me was that, that Sabbath rest, he actually used those words, so I'm not just throwing that in there. Sabbath rest makes us think about who we are and to be redefined by that reality instead of what we do. It forces us, he says, to decide whether or not we will trust God to be our provider and sustainer, and more importantly, our identity. I, uh, I have, every time I talk with somebody about doing this in their life, the objections are always practical. It's always just like demands at work, time, kids' activities, You know, just can't imagine how you're going to fit it all in. It's all practical. And I'm just telling you, that's not the real reason that you don't do it. It's not the real question that we should be asking ourselves. The real question, according to my friend John and according to the Scriptures, is whether or not we will trust God with our lives, whether or not we will have any other gods before him. The real question is about who will we worship? And taking a day to rest, to put your doing down and remember what God has done for you, is a proclamation of worship. Make no mistake about it. so let's say you want to do it let's say you 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 believe me that the gods of our world are working on you and you you want to worship god in this way what do you do Uh, we have we've given a number of sermons about this it just keeps coming up and we've talked about practical things to do you can google what to do on, on a sabbath day you'll get lots of good input on that and it's important you should do that um What I found, though, is that oftentimes we get excited about this kind of thing, and we make plans, and we just, like, jump into it, and we miss the very crucial first step. And the very crucial first step is the one that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. Come to me. Everyone who labors, who's heavy laden, worn out, By the gods of have more and do more, come to me and find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, listen, don't you think that following Jesus is going to involve some really practical things about what to do on that day? Of course it will. But he's just saying, yeah, but before we get there, the first thing, come to me. Do life with me. Follow me. You'll find that as we do life together, that rest is going to be a part of that life. Come to him. A yoke is a piece of equipment that's used to help an ox do its work. And so it's strange that he says this. Strange that he says, take my yoke upon you. Like, he's talking to tired people, weary people. Why would he give them equipment for work? Right? Because he knows. He's not offering you an escape from your responsibilities and an escape from work. He's offering you a fresh way to go about it. A yoke that's light. A yoke that's easy. A yoke that finds rest. He's saying, I get it. If you do life the way this world wants you to do it, it'll wear you out. So why don't you set aside that yoke and try out mine? My way's light. I want you to see the compassion and the patience in his invitation. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know how you're going to make up for the time. You don't have to have that figured out. There's no spreadsheets involved in this. You just have to come to him. You just have to learn from him. He'll teach you. Uh, The communion meal, which we're going to take in a minute, is uh, just one of the weekly rhythms that gives us a tangible way to come to him, to physically get up and walk down to his table. Uh, Jesus uh, entered into our world of unrest he entered into the unrest of our souls. And that's what we remember in this meal. We remember that He took upon Himself in His flesh all of our insecurity and anxiety and stress and fear. He experienced all of that firsthand. And He took it upon Himself. And when He had suffered for our sin, He said, It's finished. That's why He can say to you today, It's finished. My work is done, and it's very good. Come and rest in my work for you. As you come to the table today, I want you to take in the the beauty and the completeness of Christ's work on the cross for us and rest in Him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.